You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Matthew chapter 19. Now you're going to go to Matthew chapter 19. I am not. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 10. But you go to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 19. I will go to Mark chapter 10. It's a parallel passage. You are going to be reading some verses, and then I am going to be reading some verses, and I want you to see how they coexist. Matthew 19, that is the first book of your New Testament. Church members, look around. Make sure that everybody has a Bible that they can see. You are going to read the verses that I ask you to read just one at a time. And then I am going to read the corresponding verses in the Gospel of Mark. You're going to start in verse 16. Now, I'm not looking at it, so I'm trusting you. All right, here we go. Matthew 19, 16. Ready? And you begin now. Now I'm going to read Mark 10, 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now you read verse 17, please. Okay, hang on. Is someone going to tell Jesus that's not the right answer? Right? What, must, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? You want him to look back and say, there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. You must believe in me. Amen. He didn't say that. Good master. Why, do you, why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and that's God. But to answer your question, how, what, what do you do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments? What? If I heard any of you soul winners were going out on Saturday and saying, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And the person looks back and says, no, please tell me. And your answer was keep the commandments? I'd excommunicate you and I'm not even a Catholic. <laughs> are we confused at all? Why are you calling me good? Jesus, what, are you, what, are you, what do you mean? Why am I calling you good? Keep the commandments. All right. Verse 18 of Mark, Mark chapter 10. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. All right. You read verse 18 and 19 now. Read verse 18 and 19. Ready? Begin. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Now you read verse 20. Young men say unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. 
And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. So in your, in your situation, what lack I yet? And here we see God, Jesus answers back, One thing thou lackest. You read verse 21. Go thy way, sell whatever, whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Verse 22. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I'm a little confused. Why callest thou me good? That's a strange answer. Keep the commandments? That's a strange answer. What lack I yet? Go and do this. Don't we say that it's not of works? And yet when you first read this, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. Follow me. I'll do my best to explain it to you. I'll call my message one of two things. Title number one, one thing you lack. Title number two, where religion falls short. Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of your word. Fill both speaker and listener with Holy Spirit and demand a decision from us. Those who have been struggling with the eternal rest of their soul. Let them come to a point of decision today to either accept you or reject you, to drop their pride or to drop their sin. Please, Lord, let them leave here either with you or without excuse, church member and guest alike. Let none leave here without knowing for sure and getting it settled for a Bible reason. I am convinced I'm convinced that there are people in here who are playing the game and they are relying on all of their good deeds in order to take them to heaven and they are not relying on you. Lord, show them the falsehood of this belief and help them to come and believe in you, to drop their pride and to pick up the cross and follow you today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Imagine with me a vehicle in the parking lot. Any year, make and model that you want. Truck? Sure. Car, sure. Tesla, sure. Motorcycle, please. I'm telling you, I go through waves of wanting one and not wanting one, and right now I want one so bad. Imagine a vehicle out in the parking lot, and as you walk around the vehicle, all seems in order. The tires are inflated properly, the engine is healthy. The transmission is functioning. The brake system is fresh. The battery is charged. The tank is full. The timing belt is in sync. You have never seen a finer car. And yet, the car won't start. There are many things about the car that are right. 
And yet any wishful driver would need to look at the car and say one thing you lack. And because it lacks that one thing, all of the other things that are right about the car are negated. Picture now a garden. We did one for the men and for some of you ladies with the vehicle. Now picture a garden. This is for you ladies and for some of you men. The soil is black and loose and damp. The outline of the plot is straight and orderly. The fence is white and sturdy. The sun is shining above. The forecast is perfect for plants. You have never seen a more picturesque garden, and yet nothing is growing. There are many things right, many elements of that garden that are right, but the gardener must say to that piece of ground, one thing you lack. And because it lacks that one thing, all of the other elements that are right about the garden are in vain. Consider now a watch upon your wrist. The battery is new. The mechanism is working. The hands are properly placed. The dials and buttons are functioning. The casing is even made of gold and jewels, and yet the watch isn't running. There are many components about the watch that are right, but the inquirer of the time must look at it and say, one thing you lack. And because it lacks that one thing, it is rendered useless even with all of its other components in pristine condition. The lack of one thing can mean the lack of everything. The lack of one thing can overwhelm and neutralize the presence of all else. And such was the case with this young and rich and religious man that came up to Jesus on that day. There were many things right about his life. But Jesus himself looked upon him with love and said, one thing you lack. And because he lacked that one thing, he was on his way to hell, even though he had gotten so many things right. I want to know this morning, do you have everlasting life? Do you have everything you need in order to have everlasting life? Or is there one thing you lack? I am not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. Nobody could say anything to me that would get me to doubt my salvation. I know that I know that I know that I have eternal life at this moment. I know that my last breath on earth shall be my first breath in heaven. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that? Well, my mom tells me. Do you know that? Well, I have a baptism certificate. Do you know that heaven is your home? Or like this young man, do you feel that you're missing something? Hey, church member, do you know? Or does every invitation that comes by a yank upon your heart? because you still feel, I'm missing something.
He had many things right in his life, but deep in his heart, he still felt he was missing something in order to have eternal life. Why else would he come to Jesus and ask, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Why else would he say to Jesus, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? I have done so much, and yet I still feel, I still have no peace that eternal life is mine. The purpose of my message is very simple this morning. I want you to see how far a person can advance in the matter of religion and still fall short of heaven. I want you to see how many righteous and godly deeds somebody can accomplish while they are living and yet go to hell when they die. Need I remind you that Jesus said, many will say to me on judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not done many good works in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? And in your name done many mighty and wonderful works. And Jesus said, I will look back at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. I want you to see how close your religious deeds can bring you to heaven. But then I want you to see where your religion will fail you. I want you to see where your religion will fall short. Consider with me how much this man's religion did for him. Consider with me all the good things that this man's religion did for him. Number one, it convinced him to live a moral life. His religion convinced him to live a moral life from his youth up, according to his testimony. And we could pick it apart all day if we wanted. But according to his testimony from his youth up, he said, I never murdered anybody. Well, way to go, young man. You've never shed the blood of another human being. I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing, is it not? And I hope we're all on the same page as far as that is concerned. Now, let's not dare look back at Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says on his Sermon on the Mount, if you even hate somebody without a cause, you've committed murder in your heart already. You have, we have full-blown serial killers in this room right now. But from his youth up, he said, I have never murdered anybody. That's a good thing. From his youth up, he never committed adultery. That's a good thing. That's a moral choice, a moral choice that many people do not make. Oh, it's so quiet. That's a difficult choice for a young man. Not to commit adultery, that's a difficult choice for a young man. That's a difficult choice for a young man who's rich. All you have to do is put some money in your bank account and women come flocking. That's a difficult moral choice to make for a young man. A difficult moral choice for a young man who's rich to make. A difficult choice for a young man who's rich and being raised in Roman culture to make. The Romans were known for saying this. Roman men were known for saying this. You can look it up and you can find it. They were known for saying this. We have wives to bear our children. We have mistresses to meet our needs. We have harlots to have our fun. 
They were known for saying that. That was Roman culture. Why do you think Paul had to write to the Corinthians and say, guys, the body is not for fornication. That's not why God gave you a body. Just so that you could go around and act like animals? That was the culture. But this young man, according to his own testimony, said, my religion has made me choose never to do that. That's a good thing. From his youth up, he never stole. Never did he cheat in business. Never did he take what was not earned. He was a very rich man. All of his riches were gained fairly and properly without a trace of deception. That's a good thing. From his youth up, he never bore false witness. He never lied about his neighbors. Never lied about his friends. Never spoke falsely about a person in order to push that person down and lift himself up. He never fanned the flame of a rumor. Never took a seed of gossip and spread it himself. His religious beliefs convinced him that to bear false witness would keep him from eternal life, and so he didn't do it. From his youth up, he honored his, mo- his, uh, his father and his mother. He took great care of his parents morally. He took great care of his parents mentally. He took great care of his parents financially. From his youth up, he, he loved his neighbor as himself. It appears that his riches and his wealth were not all kept to himself, but his religion convinced him to be a giving person. His religion convinced him to be a kind person. His religion convinced him to be a charitable person. When he saw a need, his religion convinced him to be a moral person and to meet that need in the best way that he could. Could we place ourselves on the same level as this young man? Could we place ourselves on the same level of morality as this young man, not even considering how Jesus took the law and raised it. Let's put that out. Can we say we've never stole from our youth up? Can we say we've never bored false witness from our youth up? Can we say we've honored our father and mother from our youth up? I would say the answer is probably no. But listen, listen, listen. I want you to see that even if your answer is yes, I want you to see that even with this high level of morality that religion brought to this young man, he still felt and Jesus still said one thing you lack. I'm trying to shake you up this morning. You're trying to make me afraid? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Your eternal soul hangs in the balance. And too many people go to hell from a church pew. Too many people go to hell being raised in a Christian family. Because they will not examine. I want you to do what Paul told the Corinthian church. He said, I want you to examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves is what he said. Examine yourself now. Are you in the faith? Are you a child of God? Are you going to heaven? Or are you relying on your morality? You say you're a good person. A moral person. I wish more people in this world lived moral lives. I wish, I'm I'm glad for the level of morality that religion brings to a person. I'm glad for it. But there are hundreds of millions of people who are in hell today because one thing they lacked. 
I am here to tell you this morning in Jesus name, your religious morality will not give you eternal life. And in your mind, you know that to be true. In your mind, you know that to be true. Like this young man, you may look at your life and see a high level of morality, but within, you still struggle with this question. What lack I yet? What lack I yet? Even after all you've done, you still don't know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. So you're here in church this morning, and you read your Bible often. And you pray whenever you can. And you do your best to give God the glory when good things happen in your life. You're constantly seeking for that one thing you lack. And that's exactly what this man did. That's exactly what this man's religion did for him. And not only convinced him to live a moral life, but it encouraged him to improve. His question to Jesus was this, what good thing shall I do? He's just about to tell Jesus, I've done all of these good things, but what good thing shall I do? And he has one thing in mind. I want eternal life. I've done all of these good things, but I still feel like I'm lacking something. Please, master, tell me what it is. Tell me what else is there to be done. Always looking for ways to grow. Always looking for ways to be a better person. Ways to leave the world a better place than when he came in. His religious beliefs demanded that from him. To maintain, to be satisfied, to be content with how he had lived his life from his youth up was an idea that his religion would not suffer him to keep. His religion told him daily, you must be a better person. You must do more. You must give more. You must take the next step. Even on his most righteous days, he would lay his head down at night and his religion would tell him, you must do more tomorrow. He would lay his head down with no peace that eternal life was his. What lack I yet? What lack I yet? And religion would answer him, more good deeds. More good deeds. Give more to charity tomorrow. And help that beggar again tomorrow. And honor your father and mother more tomorrow. And love your neighbors more tomorrow. And he would do so. But he still felt, and Jesus still said, one thing you lack. I think it's a good thing to live a moral life. I think it's a good thing that you want to grow in your religious deeds. But could it be that the reason you want to grow more is because you know, even after all you've done, it's still not enough. Do you fear standing before God and saying to him, Lord, Lord, you know when you repeat somebody's name, it's because you're really wanting to get their attention. Give me an ear here. Look at all these things that I've done and I always wanted to do more. Do you fear him saying back to you, depart from me. I never knew you. One thing you lack. I'm glad you're a moral person. I'm glad that you are seeking to do more today than you did yesterday. But that is not where eternal life is found. I want you to see how far a person can come in the matter of religion and yet fall short of heaven. I want you to see how many good and even godly things that somebody can do while they're alive and yet still go to hell when they die. I want you to see it.
This man's religion convinced him to live a moral life. It encouraged him to do more. It even brought him to the feet of Jesus. It attracted him to Jesus. He came running to Jesus. He came kneeling before Jesus. He came asking Jesus for help. He came seeking for Jesus' answer. And I want you to see it was his religion that brought him to Jesus' feet. That's a long way for religion to bring somebody. No group of people in this world is more attracted to Jesus than religious people. Even if their religion is actively opposed to Christianity, anybody who believes in their heart that they are attracted to doing good is going to be attracted to the one who did the most good. Listen to this quote. I am not a Christian. My religion is history. But I must confess, as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center and most dominant figure in all of history, H.G. Wells, author of War of the Worlds. How about this one? As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, and yet I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Albert Einstein. I know men. And let me tell you, Jesus is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him in an instant. Napoleon Bonaparte. My feelings point me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. They point me to the man who, once in loneliness, surrounded by a few followers, was greatest, not as a sufferer, but as a fighter. In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage which tells us how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders. And today, after 2,000 years, with deepest emotion, I recognize more profoundly than ever before the fact that it was to expose the Jews that Jesus had to shed his blood upon the cross. Adolf Hitler What point am I trying to make? It does not matter if your religion drives you to the very feet of Jesus. Eternal life is not found at you being at Jesus' feet. It is found in Jesus being in your heart. Eternal life is not given to those who admire Jesus for what he says. Eternal life is not given to those who admire Jesus for what he does. Eternal life is given to those who accept Jesus for who he is. And that is something religion can never do for you. John the Beloved said, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And this, this starts to explain our confusion here. This starts to explain Jesus' answer to this young man when he calls him good master. Jesus replies, Why callest thou me good? There is one good, that is God. So if you're calling me good, are you admitting something here? 
Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't good. Jesus wasn't saying he's, he wasn't God. He's trying to catch at this man's faith. Jesus gave him a perfect opportunity to confess his faith in him. Why callest thou me good? Is it because you believe I'm God? And the young man completely skips by it. In fact, in fact, beyond that, if you read in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 10, the young man comes up running and kneeling and saying, good master. Jesus says, why are you calling me good? There's only one good and that is God. And the next time the young man talks to Jesus, he drops the good and only calls him master. Go ahead, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Hey, what am I doing this morning, church member? What am I doing this morning? Professor of faith, I'm trying to shake you up. I'm trying to get you to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith, not in the church. Are you in the church or are you, are you in the faith or are you in the pew? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I want you to see how far religion can bring you and then I want you to see where it falls short every time. Mark 10, 17, when he was gone forth unto the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Okay, fine, master. All these have I kept from my youth up. This man's religion convinced him to live a moral life. It encouraged him to do more. It attracted him to Jesus. None of those things were able to pacify the longing for peace in his soul. He still had the burning question, what lack I yet? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he asked those questions at the very feet of Jesus. Look at how far religion can bring somebody and yet still keep them short of heaven. You may be moral, you may strive for growth, you may be attracted to Jesus, and yet still go to hell because you lack one thing. Oh, preacher, don't worry about me. I have felt the love of God in my life. I have closed my eyes in prayer and felt God's love wrap around me. I've walked outside and I've observed the heavens and I've gone to the most beautiful places on the earth and I was overwhelmed with the presence of God's love. I have felt God's smile upon me. I know Jesus loves me and because of that, I know I have eternal life. Look at verse 21. It was with eyes filled with love and with a voice adorned by love. And in a moment that contained only love, Jesus beheld that religious, moral, seeking, and kneeling young man and loved him, but he still said, one thing you lack. Look at how far religion can bring you and yet still fall short. 
It convinced him to live a moral life. It encouraged him to improve. It brought him to the feet of Jesus. And it even excited Jesus' love for him. And yet Jesus said, even after all you've done, and even though you desire to do more, and even though you have sought me out, and even though I love you with an everlasting love, one thing you lack. Go and sell whatsoever thou hast. Give it to the poor. Now shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. All right. In that one simple statement, Jesus disarmed everything that that man's religion had ever done for him. What is the first thing the man's religion did? Convinced him to live a moral life. So when he asked Jesus, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus answered, keep the commandments. Which? You know the commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. You know the commandments. Master, all these have I observed from my youth up. I'm a very moral man. Okay, but there's two commandments I left out. Along with some others, but there's two main ones that I left out. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And thou shalt not covet. Let's put those to the test. Let's put those to the test. Go and sell all that thou hast and follow me. This man's religion encouraged him to improve. Do more. Do more. Do more. And whenever his religion told him what to do, he obeyed. But when Jesus told him the one thing left to do, he wouldn't do it. This man's religion brought him to Jesus, but one hard word from Jesus sent him from his feet as quickly as he came. This man's religion excited Jesus' love for him, but when Jesus asked for that love in return, the man walked away grieved because he loved his possessions more. One, his religion had brought him so far if Jesus is over there, and this is where you start, in the pit of sin, his religion had brought him so very far. But there's still a gap. A gap that can no longer be bridged. What thing is there left to do? And Jesus exposed the deficiency of his religion in a 30-minute conversation. Eternal life, young man, isn't obtained by doing more things. It is not obtained by adding greater morality to your life. Everything about that young man was wrapped in himself. His entire life was built upon what he had and what he did. And Jesus' simple lesson to him was this, and you can't miss it. You have so many good things going for you, but one thing you lack. You've come a long way. Throw all of it aside. Throw all of it aside. Everything that you have built your life upon, throw it away and have the trust to start all over again with me. And only me. Jesus isn't something that you add onto your religion like he's some cherry on top. You walk all the way back and say, nothing that I've done has done anything for me. No, but look at how far, look at how far. You need to stop looking at how far religion has brought you and you need to start looking at the gap that religion will never fill.
You come all the way back and you start with him. And you start with him alone. You lean your soul's entire weight on Jesus. There was a missionary to the New Hebrides. His name was John G. Payton. There's an incredible story of one time the, the, the Indians were coming, or the natives were coming around him, surrounded his house, and they were going to kill him. They were going to assault his wife and his kids in front of his face and, and, and cut his head off. And he knew that they were coming. But at one point, they all ran away in fear. And he ran into the chief months down the road and led the chief to the Lord. And asked the chief, why didn't you come that day? You had so many men and you had weapons and we had nothing. Why didn't you come? And the chief said, you had an army of men in white standing around your house. John G. Payton wanted to, wanted to translate the scriptures into the native tongue. And he wanted to start with the Gospel of John. And everything was going well until he got to John chapter 3 and verse 16. Because the natives had no word for belief. They had no word for faith. And he struggled and he prayed for months of how to translate John chapter 3, verse 16. And one day, one of his converts, one of his native converts, came up to his study, and the convert, without saying a word, did this. Oh. Had a long and exhausting day. And the native said this in his native, in his native tongue, it feels so good to lean my whole weight on these chairs. And John Payton wrote this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever leans his whole weight, leans his whole weight in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. He that leans his whole weight on him is not condemned, but he that leans not his whole weight on him is condemned already because he hath not leaned his whole weight in the name of the only begotten son of God. If there is even an of your soul's weight being placed on your religion, one thing you lack. And when you lack that one thing, you will burn in hell. A vehicle's tires may be inflated properly. The engine may be healthy. The transmission may be functioning. The brake system may be fresh. The battery may be charged. The tank may be full. The timing belt may be in sync. You may never have seen a finer car. The one and only thing it lacks is a spark. But because it lacks that one thing, all of the other things that are right with the car are negated. A garden may have soil that is black and loose and damp. The outline of the plot may be straight and orderly. The fence around it may be white and sturdy. The sun may be shining. The forecast may be perfect. You may have never seen a more picturesque garden. The one and only thing it lacks is seed. But because it lacks that one thing, every other element that is right about the garden is in vain. A watch may have a new battery. 
properly placed hands, working dials and buttons, gold and jewels for decoration. The one and only thing it's lacking is the center gear. But because it lacks that center gear, it is rendered useless even with all of its other components in pristine condition. You may have a moral life. You may seek constantly to improve. You may be attracted to Jesus. You may be loved by Jesus. You have many things in your life that are right, but you will hear Jesus tell you, depart from me, I never knew you, if you lack the faith to lean your whole weight on him. Your whole weight. I told you at the beginning, I want you to see how far religion can bring you. And then I want you to see where your religion falls short. When Jesus told that religious man, one thing you lack, he wasn't saying you're so close. And if you do this one more thing, it'll push you over the edge. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, even after all you've done, and even if you do so much more, you will always fall short. You will always be lacking this one thing, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You need to stop looking at how far your religion has brought you. Look at the gap that religion will never be able to fill for you. Stop looking at the many things that religion has done for you and look at the one thing that religion will never do for you. Only then will you see the need. Only then will you have the desire to set aside everything that you have ever done and lay hold of the one thing that you lack. You know George Whitfield, that great preacher. Everywhere he went, he would stay with some family that would be hospitable enough to put him up for his revivals. And every time he did so, he wanted to witness to the people. But he came across a family, father, mother, two daughters and a son came across him and they were such good people. They took such good care of him, he said. Better care of me than so many others had cared for me in all of my ministry. They were such good people. He said, I thought it hard to bring up to them the, the matter of religion. They were such religious people. And he went up to his room and he laid his head down at night and the Holy Spirit said, because they're good, you're not gonna tell them about Jesus? Isn't it because they're good that they, should, that they should have even more of an opportunity to be told about me? They'd already gone to sleep. He took his diamond ring and went up to the window and he scratched in the window, one thing thou lackest. He left very early in the morning. The father and the mother woke up and said, I want to go and see the bedroom where the man of God slept. And they went up and saw one thing thou lackest. And the man himself gives testimony. The Holy Spirit's conviction smote me so much. And the wife said, I wondered why. Why didn't he tell us? Why didn't he speak to us? They looked up Matthew chapter 19. They looked up Mark chapter 10. They looked up Luke chapter 18, bowed on their knees and leaned their whole weight on Christ. And that whole family came to know the Lord. The lack of one thing may mean the lack of everything. The lack of one thing can overwhelm and neutralize the presence of all else. The great news is the one thing you lack is the only thing you need. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. Do you remember a moment in your life, some of you are struggling, you're examining yourself. Do you remember a, a moment in your life, not when you lived morally, and not when you sought to do more for God, and not when you sought out Jesus, and not when you felt Jesus' love, do you remember a moment in your life when you took every ounce of faith off of anything that you had and anything that you did and you leaned all of your soul's weight on Jesus Christ? Do you remember a moment that you did that? Or is there one thing you lack? Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.